if you're willing, would you just shut your eyes uh, right where you are for a moment or two? And I'd like you just in the quiet of your own heart, uh, just take a moment and uh, ask God uh, maybe to speak to you from his word. Uh, You can ask that any distractions would be cleared away, that if you have anything that's sort of on your heart that you can kind of put that aside for a little bit. And if you're not yet a Christian, uh, just in the quiet of your own heart, just ask, if God, if you're real, would you do something uh, during this time? Would you say something? Would you move in some sort of way? And so take just a minute to do that quietly, and then I'll say amen, and, and we'll kind of get started. Amen. A little while ago, my wife Lisa and son George were on a trip uh, in New York City. And one of the things they did when they went to New York City is they went to visit Ellis Island. And Ellis Island is super cool because they've kept digital records of all the people who passed through Ellis Island on their way immigrating into America. And uh, my relatives are from Syria. And so while Lisa and George were there, they're like, hey, you know, try to look up somebody that you might have a connection to. And so uh, they did some research. We got some calls. My mom and I got calls trying to figure out, well, what was, what was grandpa's name and how, you know, what, what, when might he have come and what boat might he have been on? And so... It's not maybe as straightforward as it might look because Syrian names, as with lots of names coming from other cultures, very different and things get changed along the way. And so they actually were working and not have, making much progress. And so like the historian that works there was like, would you like some help? And so uh, she helped them and they began to do some research, not just, uh, you know, into my grandfather who uh, came over, but also like relatives and other things that we didn't know very much about. My dad Dad's dad died when my dad was four. So we don't know very much about him, just sort of stories that we kind of got from my grandmother through my dad. And so uh, Lisa and George were looking and finding some stuff. And so the historian was like, hey, you can also check this database, which sort of accesses newspapers and things like that. And so my wife and son found a bunch of stories about my grandfather and my great uncle. Now, some of the stories are kind of what you might find in kind of the local newspapers, which are like, hey, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that, which I'm like, I can't believe newspapers wrote that kind of stuff. But they had all of these articles, and the crazy thing was is that, you know, stuff that I kind of had thought, so my understanding from my dad through his mom was that my grandfather was not the greatest person, morally speaking. So now, uh, kind of having that as sort of the, that's what was kind of passed on, well, here it was sort of in writing. Stories in the newspaper that neither he nor my great uncle, his brother, who we didn't know hardly anything about, they didn't have very good lives. And so you're reading stories about arrests and you're reading news articles about you know alcoholism and other kinds of things and you start realizing, oh, You know, the stuff that you kind of wondered, well, maybe that's not true. (laughs) Yeah, no, here it is in black and white stories, and you kind of had to come face to face with the reality that my paternal grandfather and his at least one brother were not very good people, not very moral, not very godly, just not good people. I don't know if you've had an experience 
like that. You see, we've been uh, looking at the book of Genesis this year, and Genesis is a lot about family. It's about the family of humanity. We're all part of the family of humans. The family of nations. Um, But it's also a lot about marriage. It's about births. It's about descendants. It's about relatives. Which, of course, raises the question, what if you're single? Or what if you're unable to have children? Or what if you're estranged from family members? Or what if your grandfather and great uncle were not very good people? Where does that leave us? Every week we say at the end of Genesis, uh, or at the end of our service, a quote from Genesis. It's a blessing. It's a promise from God in which he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now this is a big promise, but when you unpack the promise, you find that in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament, that this promise sort of like unfolds into kind of three sections. There's sort of three aspects to it. The first is, is it's a promise of a relationship with God. Crazy. The God of the universe is offering a relationship. I will bless you. And so as this promise that God makes unfolds, there's stuff in there about our relationship with God. There's also some stuff in this promise, you can see color-coded there, about the fact that God is going to give to the descendants of Abraham some land. I will make you into a great nation. You can't be a nation without sort of a piece of land to live on. That's affectionately known as the promised land. And so the Bible also begins as it takes this one promise and unfolds it some. It talks more about land. There's a third aspect that is inherent in this blessing that we say every week, uh, and that is about our relationship with others. Those who bless you, whoever curses you, all people will be blessed through you. Inherent is that in that is that we're going to have connections with others. And the way the first five books of the Bible unfold, what we call the Torah or the books of Moses, is they're taken up with these themes. So relationship with God, the books of Exodus and Leviticus are especially focused on that, talking about how it's possible to have a relationship with God. The books of Numbers and Deuteronomy are especially focused on the land, on God providing for his people this place in which they can live. The book of Genesis is especially taken up with this idea of relationship with others. That's why there's so much focus on family. But as I said earlier, it does raise the question. What if you're not married? What if you don't have children? What if you're separated from your biological family? What if your biological family has simply brought you pain? What if as you look at your family of origin or your experiences with others that you're related to, It's not blessing. It's woundedness. What does Genesis have for us? What does this blessing have to do with us? Now, if your experiences of biological family have been great, praise the Lord. What a wonderful blessing from God. 
they've not, how does this blessing come to us? How do we experience blessings in relationships with others when we've experienced so much wounding from those that we might be physically related to? That's what we want to talk about this morning. So let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Genesis chapter 48. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. We would love if you would take one of those Bibles. And all you have to do is turn to page 41. So you don't have to know your way around a Bible. Just turn to page 41. And you'll be, you'll see kind of at the bottom of the right-hand column on page 41, a giant 48 That's Genesis chapter 48. We're going to look at Genesis 48 and 49, two chapters that we're not going to read together because they're long. Instead, we're just going to kind of dip in and look at a couple of sections of these two chapters. Nominally, Genesis 48 is about Jacob blessing his grandsons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Genesis 49 is nominally about Jacob blessing the rest of his sons. But taken together, Genesis 48 and 49 is an opportunity for us to answer this question. How do the blessings promised by God that have to do with our relationship to others, how do those come to us And what role does sort of biological family play in experiencing the blessings of God? I have three observations I'd like to share with us this morning from Genesis 48 and 49 about God's blessings with regard to our relationship with others. And the first is this. God blesses us with meaningful relationships that are not limited to our biological relationships with others. God has promised and purposed to bless us with meaningful relationships, but we are not ultimately talking about biological relationships. We're talking about something bigger and deeper and stronger. Look with me, Genesis 48, verse 3. Jacob said to Joseph, that's his son, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. God is referring to the blessing that we just talked about from Genesis 12. Now then, Jacob says to his son Joseph, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. And here's a really interesting idea is is that Ephraim and Manasseh are Jacob's grandsons But according to God's will, God has decided that Ephraim and Manasseh will be reckoned or counted or considered not as grandsons of Jacob, but as actual sons. When you go through the tribes of Israel, when you go through the 12 sons of Jacob, Ephraim and Manasseh are listed even though they are technically Jacob's grandsons. This is making our point. Now, I understand that grandchildren are still biologically related. So Ephraim and Manasseh are related to Jacob. 
but it does point forward to the fact that they are not literally his biological sons, yet they are counted as his sons, meaning they are his sons by faith. That God simply declared, these are going to be considered your children, even though they are not your children. All of this is pointing to this bigger theme is that God establishes relationships that superintend or go beyond what we might have in biological relationships. There's hints of this other places in Genesis. Abraham interacts with his nephew Lot as if Lot is his son. He has a servant, Eleazar, who's from Damascus. He's from Syria. He's not from Canaan. Abraham basically treats him as an adopted child. We will also see this later on in the Bible. Moses reinteracts with Joshua as a father does with his son, even though they are not related to one another. Likewise, Elijah is a father to Elisha, even though, again, there is no biological connection between the two men. This idea of spiritual connections shows up in the book of Ruth when Naomi is counted by God as Obed's mom, even though she is neither his biological mom nor his biological grandmother. Now what the Old Testament has in seed form, the New Testament brings to fruition and to fullness in Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter four. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Neither Timothy nor the men and women in the church in Corinth are biologically related to Paul. Yet he refers to them as his children and his relationship with them is such that they are counted as his kids in the Lord. Meaning that even though Paul never married and never had any biological children, we would say it this way, when Paul gets to heaven, we are going to see he has a lot more kids than most of us can even imagine. That these people who are sons and daughters spiritually that Paul has with Timothy, for example, a deeper, more full, more powerful relationship than most parents have with their biological children. This is the promise of God. This is why Paul says in Galatians 4, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy, shout for joy, and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now don't take this to mean that Paul or God doesn't understand the pain of barrenness. God understands it uh, implicitly. The Bible is filled with the recognition that those who want to have biological children and are unable to, the Bible talks about that as a wound that's very, very difficult to experience healing for. But that truth 
goes alongside of this truth. Because God has chosen to exercise blessings not limited by biological relationships, those who are unable to have children can still have children in the Lord. And that the spiritual relationships that God gives us with other people that these can be deeper, more fulfilling, more powerful and stronger, that God has not set this up, that blessings are only mediated through biological family members. God has set it up differently than that. We saw that in the Neighbors International video, that somehow students from other cultures feel genuinely like sons and daughters brothers and sisters, entering into families. This is what God did for us in Jesus. So the blessings of God in relationship to others are not limited to those that we are biologically related to. Second observation. The blessings of God are not tied to birth order. Genesis 48 Look at verse 17. So we're on the next page, page 42. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, so Ephraim's the younger one, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Manasseh's the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. You can kind of picture in your mind like Jacob is this tottering old man and Joseph's like, here he goes again. Look, dad, you got it wrong. <laughs> it's not that grandkid, it's that grandkid. Put this hand here and put that hand there. And then you can see Jacob sort of smiling and responding. Verse 19, his father refused <laughs> and said, I know my son, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> he too will become a great people, a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, in your name, Israel will pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. The younger was placed ahead of the older. Now I find it really weird that Joseph is fighting so hard for the rights of the firstborn. Joseph is the youngest child or the second youngest child, basically, and he's in charge of all of his brothers. Yet when he has his own kids, he sort of wants the rights of the firstborn to go to the oldest. But here we are reminded that is not the way the kingdom of God works. Even today in psychology, the wisdom of the world studies sort of birth order and says, well, oldest children tend to act like this, youngest children tend to act like this, middle children tend to act like this, and there's lots that's made out about how your, what your life is going to be like based on where you fall in birth order. There can be a lot of human wisdom in that, but that is not the way the kingdom of God works. God does not choose to bless people on the basis of where they're born in their nuclear family. Thank God for that, amen? <laughs> That's why some people often are surprised to find out that I'm a youngest child, that I think in this role and what I'm asked to do, that the blessings or the responsibilities have zero to do with where you were born in your earthly family, which I think is wonderful. Third observation. The blessings of God 
are not bound by our past. I'm, I'm an amen with you on that too. Absolutely. Genesis 49. Okay, so in Genesis 49, Genesis 48, Jacob is blessing Ephraim and Manasseh who have been counted as his sons. In Genesis 49, he's blessing the rest of his sons. And I'm gonna say blessing, quote unquote, because in verses five to seven, you're gonna hear what he says about child number two and child number three, Simeon and Levi. Listen to this and think if you would actually like your dad to say this about you. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they please. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Wow. If that's a blessing from your dad, who need curses from an enemy? There's nothing positive in this at all. Why is Jacob doing this to childs two and three? You might recall that Simeon and Levi have a sister named Dinah, and she was sexually assaulted earlier in Genesis. And Simeon and Levi took it upon themselves to repay what happened to her and to execute justice. Now on one hand you could say, okay, well the perpetrator should come to justice. The problem was is they went way over the top and they not only punished the person who sexually assaulted their sister by killing him, they killed everybody, everybody in the town. People who were innocent that had nothing to do with this sexual assault. And as a result in this place, Jacob pronounces what is essentially a curse on Simeon and Levi. Maybe you've experienced a parent pronouncing something about you that didn't sound like a blessing. Maybe it was even the result of something you did. But as you hear this, some of you might be saying, Simeon, okay, I don't really know what happens to him. But Levi, wait a second. I thought the tribe of Levi, like, they don't end up scattered. Like, good things happen to the tribe of Levi. Like, am I remembering this wrong? No, you're remembering it right. The crazy thing is, is that this is Israel going into Egypt. 430-some years later, when it's time to come out of Egypt, God's going to raise up a person who in some ways has no parallel in the Old Testament. He's a unique individual in what he does, so powerful in serving the Lord. His name is Moses. Does anybody know what tribe Moses is from? He's from Levi. That's really interesting. More than that, as they're coming out of Egypt, some of these other tribes fall into sin. And it's the tribe of Levi that stands up and says, no, we're with the Lord. And they defend the Lord's honor so that the Lord turns to the tribe of Levi and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, this one tribe out of all of the rest of them, and you are going to be for me the tribe of priests and Levites. So that the tribe of Levi actually ends up as being the most blessed in some ways and the most holy and the closest to God. 
which makes the point. The blessings of God are not dependent on what your parents say about you. Jacob curses his two sons, but God reverses that curse. It doesn't matter if your ancestors, your grandfather, your great uncle, or whoever were not godly moral people. It doesn't even matter if in your past you have acts like Simeon and Levi that are horrific and terrible. The really, really great news is that the blessings of God are not bound by the past, not bound by what your parents said about you, not bound by what other people predicted would happen in your life, not bound by ancestors that came before you, not bound even by mistakes and sins that you have committed. The blessings of God are not tied to those things. Isn't that good news? How is it possible, though, that the blessings of God are not limited to biological family, not tied to birth order, not bound by our past? The answer is in the next blessing in Genesis 49, the one that's given to Judah. Verse eight, Judah, this is the fourth son, your brothers will praise you, your hand will be on the neck of your enemies, your father's sons will bow down to you, You are a lion's cub, Judah. You will return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. And then watch these next two verses. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Now, the really crazy thing for me is sometimes people like to say, okay, well, the Bible, it's like a religious book. Some religious people must have written it and then, you know, nice things come from it. What I think is super, super powerful about this, this was written 2,000 years before Jesus came on the scene. This book was even written a thousand years before Israel has a king. The language of scepter and ruler. Israel's not even a nation at this point. They're just a dad with some kids and some grandkids. Yet here, written down in such a way that is saying there is going to come a thousand years later a ruler and after him a thousand years later one to whom is going to be a ruler over all things. I look at this and I say David when he comes on the scene has this book in his hands. It's not like people like oh yeah David ended up being from the tribe of Judah we better go back and write it in that way. This was written for a thousand years before David comes on the scene. And then David has a descendant, Jesus, the Messiah, who is of the tribe of Judah. That's what this passage is talking about. Now look what it says about Jesus. This ruler who's coming, who is going to be the king of kings. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. 
Now, if you ask Lisa, she would tell you, I'm not very good at laundry. But even I know, you don't get something clean by washing it in grape juice. No one would ever wash clothes in red wine. It doesn't do whites very well. This is not talking about laundry. It's a poetic illusion. What does it mean that he will wash his robes in the blood of grapes? It is alluding to the fact that not only will a king come from the tribe of Judah, this king will be crucified. It's a poetic way to refer to the blood of Jesus. How is it possible that the blessings of God come not through biological family, not connected to birth order, not with any regard to our past? Because of Jesus. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because of his crucifixion and him being raised to new life, when Jesus died and was resurrected, God made it possible that whoever places their faith in Jesus can be connected to Jesus. And when you and I are connected to Jesus, we are now connected to everybody else who is connected to Jesus. And our connection to Jesus is stronger than our connection to biological family members. And the result is, is that God provides a way for you and I to feel deeper, stronger, more full connections with others who are connected to Jesus. When Jesus died and was raised from the dead, when you and I accept that by faith, his life is reckoned to ours. It is counted as ours. In the same way God can say to Jacob's grandsons, you're actually his sons, God can say to you and I, you actually are new creations. And God can declare that we are now born again. That's why birth order doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you were born into your earthly family. When you, by faith, trust Jesus, you are born again into God's family. And the birth order you have in your human family, and in fact, all of the human wisdom, not just the psychology that says birth order matters, but all of the psychology about personalities and all of those things, it becomes null and void when it comes to the blessings of God because you and I are born again. None of that stuff binds us. Your personality, who you are, what the world thinks you're going to accomplish, zero to do with the blessings of God because of Jesus. The reason why it doesn't matter if your ancestors were not very moral people, the reason why it doesn't matter even if your father curses you, the reason why it doesn't matter your sins of your past is that when you accept Jesus as Lord, you get a new father. And your heavenly father's word trumps your earthly father. And whatever your family of origin, whatever they said about you, whatever people predicted about you, whatever that teacher in second grade who told you you'd never amount to anything, whatever anybody from your past declared about you, what even your own sins and mistakes said, the track that you were on, none of that matters for experiencing the blessings of God because in Jesus, his blood, his life, his death forgives our sins. And the past is gone. 
And instead of God saying, well, your past will determine who you'll be, he says, no, it's the future, the future that I have designed for you. When Lisa came home from Ellis Island, she asked, you don't seem that interested (laughs) to know about your grandfather and your great uncle. Why is that? I mean, it was interesting, but I just didn't feel it. I don't know, it just didn't really, didn't really change my day that much. And I pondered that question, why don't I feel that? And the reality is, is that I don't feel that connected to my grandfather and great uncle because I'm not really that connected (laughs) to my grandfather and my great uncle. When my dad became a Christian, it changed everything. I feel strongly connected to my dad and my mom because they're Christians. I don't feel a strong connection to a grandfather and a great uncle who didn't act like Christians at all and behaved in immoral, godless sort of ways. I'm sad for them. I just don't feel strongly connected. In fact, I feel much more strongly connected to you. You are my family. And I feel strongly connected to you because you're connected to Jesus. And I hope someday if you read a newspaper article about me, you won't be like, oh yeah, that was some guy, that you'll feel connected. And if I read something about you, I'm like, oh yes, that's awesome. Look what they accomplished. Or, oh my goodness, I can't believe they've gone through that. Let me pray for them. Let me send them a card. Let me connect with them because you and I on Jesus are the family of God. This is what Genesis is actually pointing towards. It's not ultimately about biological children or parents or siblings. It's not ultimately about ancestors. It's not about your past. It's not about birth order. It's about the fact that God has promised to bless all people. And he's doing it through Jesus. The takeaway for you and I this morning. As wonderful as biological relationships can be, spiritual relationships are. And the encouragement is, ask God today to open your eyes to see who he's connecting you to spiritually. Where are the children he's provided you spiritually? Where are the brothers and sisters in Christ? Where are the parents that he has provided to take the place of your biological parents who cursed you or did not treat you well? Get involved in facilitating those relationships. Join the choir. Be an usher. Participate in a small group. Be part of a Sunday school class. Volunteer in the children's ministry. We're not gathered here each week just because we're trying to fill time until Jesus returns. This is where the blessings of God get filled out and manifested now. Sitting around you are people that you are already connected to in Jesus. All we're doing as a church is helping to cause those connections to be the blessing that God wants them to be. And so ask the Lord to help you see with the eyes of faith. Who are my brothers and sisters that you've provided here? Who are my mother and my father? Who are my children? Who are the people that mean so much to me? They're here. Get involved and connected to them. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life. 
refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.